0: What's cracking, guys? So today we have Dr. Eric Helms and special guest today, new guest, Omar Esau. How are we doing, man? We're doing better now that we're here, man. All right. So, uh, and you're totally fresh, right? This is the
1: first podcast of the day. It's the one I've been saving my energy for. I totally did mean to to pour a cup of coffee prior to this, but we're just going to wing it. We're going to
0: be fueled by the fumes of despair, and we're just going to move on. There we go. So uh, since Omar is a new guest here, we are going to do a charity donation, and we're going to do St. Jude's today. So uh, anybody who's watched the podcast is familiar with the concept. We will have the link down below, St. Jude. A lot of the research goes towards childhood cancer, but also other uh, illnesses as well. So great charity if anybody wants to donate there. So, so Omar, I've known about you for a long time. Uh, you were probably one of the first people I saw in the YouTube space, one of the OGs. And uh, I'll be honest, when I first came across you, I think we're like similar age, similar training uh, time too. And I think when you're young, you're kind of like, okay, like what's this person gonna teach me, right? Like if they're the same age, I'm looking at like older people. So, uh, and then your videos kept popping up forever. And I was like, wow, there's like a lot of quality content, a lot of quality guests. Like even before podcasts were a thing, you're doing a lot of these collabs. So um, I think probably everybody listening is familiar with you, but can you just give like a little bit on when you got into it, like as like the OG YouTube scene? David, I want to
1: talk some shit, but unfortunately with you being generous with that donation, I now have nothing but respect for you. (laughs) So I am forced to answer the question sincerely. Um, Yeah, man, I think I started around 2009 and mainly was a way for me to express myself where I couldn't in the training environment. I was a personal trainer, and in particular, the clients that I had was kind of you know uh, standard corporate individuals, folks that wanted to get in shape, but I had you know interest in various ath- athletic endeavors uh, that eventually took the form of powerlifting. So anyways, I want to talk about it, and it was a creative outlet for me, so YouTube, and that was the place initially where you can upload content. At the time now, uh, at, at that time, I'd say in 2009, there are only a few platforms where you could upload videos and you had to make it public. So YouTube was a place that you had to make it public. So that's what I did. Um, and then it got some views. And then I kind of just slowly uh, from there uh, applied more and more effort, found my own niche, found the only, what was good at the time too, because I was working full-time as a trainer. I didn't feel any pressure to either conform or make a certain type of content It's just stuff that I enjoyed. And so it sort of snowballed. There's no, You know people start now like in 2024 was like i'm gonna be an influencer it's like there wasn't that word and there also wasn't any money like in it you know i would say money in the fitness space only really started entering about a decade ago so Mm -hmm. there's like the three to four years where you just basically make content because you enjoyed making content smarter folks then would have the funnel right so they do like coaching they do this they do that um but it's just very entertaining because you're connecting with like-minded individuals In like 2010 or 2011, to talk about strength training, um, you know, in in your average commercial gym, there weren't a lot of people that would be doing that. So you'd find more common ground with strangers online, and you see these people doing these lifts. It's motivating. Like, let's say you want to squat 315. Well, at a commercial gym at the time, that's very unlikely. But then you're seeing it happen very frequently online. Or you see this uh, dude from Ohio, a Candido, doing it like, wow, like 405. Okay. Um, so you kind of find the pocket that you want to participate in. You find um, kind of the style that you want to do. And then, you know, you attract your audience. And so it all was unintentional, but it reached some sort of like tipping point where the idea was, wait a second, like maybe you know, I, can you do this? I want to do this. What does that look like? And so I took a uh, trip down in 2012 to Los Angeles to talk to non-fitness YouTubers to assess the uh, validity of just doing it like full time. Really? And yeah. uh, I, I decided and it took me from there like about a year of changing various things um, to do it. And yeah, never looked back since. And, uh, you know, here we are now a decade
0: later. Yeah. When I first met up with Greg Knuckles, this was maybe 2019 or so. I think you guys had maybe seen each other recently. He's like, yeah, man, Omar's life is pretty sweet. Like, you know, you record some videos, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, it starts off with like a grind and everything. And and Eric, were you on YouTube by 2009, 2010,
2: maybe? I want to say the 3DMJ YouTube kind of ad hoc haphazardly started sometime around 09 And then we really became intentional with it in 2011. Jeff okay. had... The prior 3D Muscle Journey channel, which I'm still a subscriber to, 3D Natural Muscle, okay. where he uploaded some of his training videos and like interviews with some of the natural movements that was actually around in early 09. But uh, the proper team 3DMJ one really started kicking off in 2011.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I don't know when I first saw you guys collab. Obviously, you have the podcast together now. You guys have done a lot of collabs
2: now. When did you, when did this romance start? I remember, um, it immediately gave me respect for Omar, because he messaged me to basically get peer review on a video he was doing on a science-related topic, and so people first became aware of me on YouTube just because of Matt Okus, Right. Um, which, is a, which is a really interesting story because it was right before we started taking off in 2011. I know that we started taking off in Team 3DMJ in 2011 because we became aware of the potential of YouTube. I had this guy who I was coaching who I saw get on stage in 2010. His name is Matt Ogis. And he was like, really great physique, but literally 20 pounds over stage weight. And he reached out to us. I gave him a phone call and we did our normal like, you know, email-based coaching that we were doing at the time in 3DMJ. He's locally from Sacramento. I was living in Sacramento. And then he said uh, in the middle of, you know, at the start of prep, hey, do you mind if I post my check-ins on my YouTube? And I was like, yeah, which in parentheses meant, what? (laughs) You know, like, I I know what that is. uh, Yeah, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, (laughs) oh, vlogging. Yeah, cool. What? You know? And, um, He sent his first check in to me and I'm watching him go through his mandatories. Like, Oh, this kid's got a lot of muscle. He's losing body weight quickly. Wait a minute. 5,000 views. What is, what is going on? Yeah. And again, the metrics back in 2011, what was considered impressive? Omar, would you say like one decimal point lower basically? At least. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a lot of views and I, I might be getting the numbers wrong, but I was like, what? And then I started talking to Matt about it and he and I saw what he was doing and I became aware. I started following him because I, I took him on before I realized like who he would be or who he was. Yeah. And, then he, you know, he'd start training with us. We'd go down to train with Jeff. He would do v- these video interviews and he basically wanted to platform me because he was like, oh, wow, this whole like evidence-based thing. And I have a program that has like progression 531. Remember, he was enamored with that. Like the ideas of, of just macros and 531 were revolutionary at this time. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Progr- Overload and energy balance. Really, Like this is where we were at. So anyway, I was like, yo, guys, we need to get on. It wasn't just me, but like Alberto, myself, Jeff, all of us became very aware. We need to do the YouTube thing. And I want to say it was maybe two or three years later, I think it was 2013, I got a message from one Omar Isaf saying, hey, I'm doing a video on fat-free mass index. Could you check this out? Do you think it's reasonable for me to say that this is probably, that 25 is not an accurate limit And even based upon the study where that came from, it's probably closer to like 27 or 28. And we had a a discussion and he put it out there. And like the reason why it stood out to me to get back to my initial point was there were plenty of people making videos about me because I was just now platformed by Matt Ogus And I was kind of like the science guy and, you know, some were favorable, some weren't. This is my first time of realizing it's a double-edged sword to being on the internet. Like, there's people who don't know me who now have opinions about me and are saying things I don't like. Yeah. This this is uncomfortable. Um, so it was a, uh, I guess, a breath of fresh air for one, someone to actually make a science-based video. One, two, ensure that they got it right, um, and to to reach out to me to do so. And you know, it was it was cool. And I wasn't even really like a quote unquote scientist yet. I was just like one of the few science communicators in the space who wasn't as big as someone like Omar at the time and um, so that 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 was really cool to see and I think from that point on I started following Omar and I really just liked his, his the cut of his jib if you will and I thought his subtle positive but also not taking yourself too serious but also accurate influence on our space has been one of the most beneficial things that I've seen on YouTube and it made me have a much more hopeful view of YouTube because YouTube mm. has at times been like 90% cesspool, you know? Um, and uh, the other times that I had been featured, it was like, even when people said said favorable things about me, most of them I didn't like it. I'm like, oh, great, Jason Blah said something nice about me. Like, can you just not say anything <laughs> about me, you know? So right, right. No, it, it, it was cool. So ever since then, I've had a lot of respect for Omar. And it's been a privilege to get to collaborate with him more over the last decade.
0: Yeah, I, I have a, a follow up on that as well. But, um, but first, I just want to know when you when you met, did Eric try to claim to be a member of Team No Cavs? And if so, were you personally offended by that?
1: No, no. I. Uh... So this is going to be an awkward, awkward story, David, but we're going to get into it i knew so we first met in 2018 we did a collab for uh our training company something called kaizen so we wanted once again always at the forefront like you want to get things right and the part that's crazy like that's why i don't understand why a lot of people don't do their due diligence with folks like eric they're very willing to communicate with you like so you brought up or uh, yeah you brought up like greg knuckles like I referenced a Greg Knuckles article in 2014 or 2013. I forget what year it was 2013, 2014, and just like you know, it was like a reference for something on a video topic. And he immediately messaged me because he saw like oh, obviously like the tracker on the website, and then from there I struck up a conversation. And he was very friendly. And what what is kind of crazy to me is that you have a lot of the I'd say more visible science communicators are willing to take their time because they understand that it's important um, to communicate the right level of information to an audience that's susceptible to poor information. Um, and so that's just like a weird, like uh, I'd say, it's not even in 2024. It's like, like if someone wants the message, Eric, if someone had like not many, it's like, Hey, uh, just wondering, I'm um, doing this. This is something I, I give like a 95, unless he's like traveling or something like he's going to respond to the person. So it's just wild that, um, you know, in a community in general, I'd say that it takes participants that care about the space to make the space and so, it, and it really doesn't take much effort, right? Like you exchange a few words, it's like a couple minutes, whatever. So fast forward, then we had Kaizen, we wanted to do nutrition program, wanted to do it right, had been speaking to Eric for a while. So it's like, all right, 2018, come to Toronto, cool. And then, uh, so we hit it off, no team, no calves jokes, maybe a little bit of dancing, however. Um, and then I knew I wanted to trap Eric for the rest of his life. <laughs> And so the only way to do that is to put someone through an intensely traumatic experience. So knowing what I know about him, his psyche and whatnot, fortunately there was an Ari Aster film that came out at the time, his directorial debut called Hereditary. And just from the brief synopsis and the overall style, the slow burning psychological horror, um, we had joked before about um, a film like Event Horizon, just a few other things. We decided to watch this movie. Uh, We watched the movie And then after we watched the movie, Eric couldn't stop talking about it with me. And then he went back to his Airbnb and then he called me at midnight to discuss like theories about the ending because it's a very intense ending. Um, And then I knew I had him from the word jump. And so after that, it was just like I was just as a harmonious, we're chilling. It's like our cultural touchstone that we could come back to in case anything happens. But uh, from there, it was, I will say this, like on a professional level, um, what was really cool. We met up, so yeah, like you get along as people. That's great. but on a professional level, what was great about Eric and eventually led to the podcast idea um, was that when we were filming these takes for the nutrition course, and you have to explain various things and macronutrients, just doesn't matter. Um, you know, everyone, you gotta be comfortable in front of the camera, but also there is such a thing that if you haven't spoken to an audience before and you're trying to distill all this information that's relatively complex, into an easy to understand format. We're well, not flubbing it, taking see as many uh, uh, takes as you can. So it's like you have eight hours in a day how much can you film in eight hours and you actually want to maximize that time because like you know travel's not cheap necessarily like every day is time so anyways um what impressed me uh with eric is that he needed very few takes to get it right so from a content capital c content perspective um i was impressed which is what led then down the road to like iron culture and so on and so forth because i'm like i think this dude um needs like a platform. And I think there would be a high level of utility. So kind of was everything once again, it was, I don't wanna say serendipitous, but we had been communicating, decided to do that. He was clearly qualified for it. So it made made a ton of sense, but then we met up in person and it was um, better. It it went better than expected. So that's how it led to the other things.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. So um, one of the things with your channel is that, and, and I think with you, Eric, I guess there's, I don't know if an expectation, but because your channel started maybe like a little bit less mainstream, right? Obviously it wasn't as big of a channel as Omar's. Historically, when I see channels like that, it's, it's evidence-based. I didn't have an expectation that it would maybe have this kind of downfall. It Like there's the quality content, it stayed the quality content. Whereas Omar, I feel like your channel, that type of channel is prone to over the years Having a lower quality, which has not happened with you, I know you've had breaks, right, where you like maybe come back and whatnot. But I mean, you know, not to like call people out specifically, but like there's that uh, channel, like Alpha M, right? It was like okay, it was like yeah. style, and then it was like you know male and whatever, all that stuff. And Elliot shit, Hulse. what's that? Elliot Holz, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't follow him, but I've heard it's, it's similar issue there um obviously Greg you said has i don't know i think he just posted about like current events or something now but but it's it's kind of like hey we have this huge influx and then to stay relevant it's you know what can we talk about and, and the quality clearly goes down and i mean i remember back from your earlier videos like you had some collabs with silent mike and like the the high level collaborations have continued and i think it's better to produce less content and say hey i'm going to have a video once a month or whatever that is then to just have to keep beating the algorithm. I'm just wondering if that was like a very conscious choice on your part or if it was just kind of just natural for you.
1: Didn't think about any of it. No, I would say that uh, I I think you have to have obviously like a strong internal compass and you have to understand what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. Um, And that will guide the entire journey. And so I think fundamentally because I had a professional life before, And so this sounds like it's major shade against like 2024 people getting into the space to be an influencer, but kind of like myself and Eric, like I was a personal trainer. Like I worked as a personal trainer. I had a small company, nothing crazy, but like I had professional work experience. I actually enjoyed what I did. Uh, And so often the pursuit of getting into either fitness or in the industry, or once again, to be an influencer, you're usually trying to make a pivot from something else, which was like semi-accurate for myself. But there's no, there's like no fear. Oh, if this doesn't work out, what am I going to do? It's like, I literally am still training people at the time. And so I think fundamentally to want to do something, you have to enjoy it. And for me, at least for me, I have to enjoy it. And if I have to enjoy it, I have to find some level of fulfillment in it. And so You eventually, man, like if you scale up or whatnot and you start getting more eyeballs, yeah, you get more popularity. And there might be pressure then to continue to perform at that level where you want to maintain the views or whatnot or the lifestyle. Um, But I will say that because for me, the primary focus with the content were things that I enjoyed, things that I wanted to talk about, because I viewed this. I viewed the YouTube as a relatively long term thing, meaning that it wasn't like okay, how do I like grow to a million subscribers? From what what I go here, where was like you know a goal oriented pursuit, and more was okay. I want to lift these weights. Like I I have personal pursuits I want, and here are some things um within the craft that I want to get better at over time. And so I think an audience that you accrue can can really perceive, I think authenticity gets thrown around a lot, but like you're making content because you want to make content. And the guy I could throw the biggest respect to that I think is the clearest example is actually my boy Alan Thrall., uh, where I felt that I felt that all the way when I saw his content, where he just he actually he probably uh, much better than myself, he can make content that he enjoys, that superficially you would assume people wouldn't want to watch. But he makes it so compelling. Like, he did this whole thing where he, I forget what he called it, but he would make these cooking videos. And that's, like, that's cool. But they're, like, outdoor mountain cooking. But just the way that he shot it, one of them got, like, a million views. But it Mm. got a million views because it was a cohesive kind of feel to the content itself. Like, from the setting, the shots, everything coming together, it formed an impression on people. And so, anyways, all that to say, the double-edged sword of, like, fame and notoriety is that sometimes you become kind of enthralled by it, right? It's like intoxicating where you want it more and more and more. And that comes usually at the expense of some sort of personal sacrifice, uh, some sort of concession on your part. But I mean, just from actually working for several years doing this and like, I'd say just being frugal overall, where it's not like, there's no, there's no, you know, like what, what was the guy's name? I like Ty Lopez where it's like, here in my yeah. garage with the car. or like yeah. trying to sell a lifestyle. Like all, like you just lose yourself over time and you understand like fundamentally um, it's not worth it. And that's why I'll just say uh, quickly to wrap this up um, during the pandemic is actually the time that I enjoyed my training the most over mm-hmm. that period of the last five years, because I wasn't making content anymore. I, I wasn't doing any of that. And I was just lifting to lift and I really enjoyed that. And I think once you start, um, you know, separating those two, not that it all goes downhill, but then it really becomes an occupation. And then what's the intention behind that occupation? What's the end user? Like, how are they then digesting it? Like, are you doing right by your people that have watched you over time? So I really do think to your point that um, if you're to continue to make content, you should always try and continue to make content that you're comfortable with. So that's like, now that we're slowly, slowly uh, getting back into, like, still focusing on Rascal, it's like, you just make content. Like, yep, I like it. Is it going to be one time a week instead of the five videos a week? Sure. Uh, but is it going to be something congruent with the way I feel? Yeah. And I do think for long, like, we talk long-term uh, success, David, because, um, what is it, 2009? So it's going to be 15 years. Most, even successful channels, they do their period where they rise. And then kind of like what uh, one of you mentioned about a certain parent, uh, Greg said, where like, he wants the clicks. So he's just going to make whatever is topically interesting to a very superficial audience. And so he's getting the same views. But there was a time period in like 2019, I would say, I would need to think about this exact year. But like before he jumped the shark were even people that. Now we definitely not watch him are interested in watching to set because they found him compelling with his no nonsense approach. Yeah. So you sacrifice like a real audience that likes the content you put out deriving actually some sort of benefit uh, from it. to so just like, you know, trying to scale, trying to expand, trying to get more eyeballs. And it, in my opinion, is kind of sad to see, but you know.
0: Yeah. Eric, did you like, I mean, with one more's comments regarding the, like the training was the most fun when there wasn't that filming on it. I, I also kind of wonder with you, because you have so many roles within, right? Like you, you teach, there's research, there's uh, bodybuilding powerlifting. Did you feel like your training goals in some way had to reflect what people were watching you for? Or was it always just, hey, this is what Eric wants to do. So this is what he's going to do training wise.
2: Uh, the latter. And okay. I think that is really where I have a ton of respect for Omar, because I think he does something far better than I ever could. Um, but also we connect because of a similar value system. Um, I never think that Omar, I, there's like no, there's zero risk of the whole jumping the shark thing with Omar. And something that I've always identified him from the moment I started talking to him was that he had a very clear purpose statement, mission statement. And also he was very, like he said, he knows what he's comfortable with and he has a very strong internal compass. Um, And I think what really connects both of us, even though we're very different people, is neither one of us will make any compromise for what we put out there. Um, It doesn't mean that that's not, it's not an immediate thing we decide, but we calculate like, is this a net positive? We joke about that terminology all the time, but it's a a very common thing that we will talk about. Like, who do we want to platform on the podcast or we'll reach out to one another because like... He knows that I know the in, inner workings of a lot of the evidence based quote unquote community. And I know that he knows and is really tuned into the broader mainstream fitness space and the YouTube uh, community, especially. So, like when a big YouTuber reaches out to me and I have a superficial view that, okay, this seems like it could be a useful collab for, you know, helping my mission statement, um, I ask Omar, like, hey, what's your, what's your perspective? Because I think he's actually better at reading people than I am. Um, and yeah, like, like it was very apparent to me from the start that Greg Doucette was who he eventually showed himself to be, but you saw that there was this point, like he said, in 2019, where there was like an 80% overlap between the audience of, say, a Jeff Nipperton and a Greg Doucette, which to me is mind-blowing, but to the average person in our space, um, maybe is only something they can see now in retrospect, so we've been very simpatico in that way but the reason why i've always needed to have my 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 milk-laden breasts milked by larger better content creators like like you know Ogus initially and now and now omar yusuf is that i am kind of spread thin and ultimately i'm just i just want to do what i want to do and my reach is to some degree um capped and limited by my unwillingness to put the kind of effort that I could into those things, and just the natural um, proclivities that I have. Like, what would I rather spend my time doing? What am I good at? Versus what could I be good at if I put a lot of effort into it? Like, Omar has told me, like, I think you actually do know how to, like, get a good title or do a thumbnail or, or like, make, make your Instagram pop off more. And you could play this game more, but... You, you don't because you're, I don't know, stubborn and, and it doesn't come naturally to me. And sometimes it feels inauthentic. But I think for me, like really at the heart of everything is I'm just a like a meathead who wants to lift and yeah. I'm never going to get away from that. And I'm also a nerd and I'm just kind of, I love everything related to the iron and, um, I will never do anything that would subvert that. And the hint I get the moment, I feel something that starts to take me away from that. I normally just straight up just excise that, you know. Um, and this is goes back before I was even known online. I remember brief story to get a little bit of a look into my psyche. I had uh, in two thousand six or seven, I had a training partner. Shout out Todd Beasley. I was living on Robertson in uh, in, in in the greater Sacramento area. Uh, only a minute away from California Family Fitness. So I had no excuse to ever be late to go meet him to train. And I was playing Baldur's Gate 2. And I get sucked into things when I pursue them. Video games are one of them. And I had the the thought of, you know what, I could just text Todd and say, I'm going to miss it today so I can complete this part of Baldur's Gate 2 and I'll just push my workout back. And then part of me went, oh my God. And I stopped playing Baldur's Gate 2 from that point on. And that was Mm -hmm. the last time I seriously invested in playing a long-form video game that isn't something that you can finish a game in 20 seconds like Street Fighter or whatever. I remember the day. I think it was actually 2006. I just stopped. Like, okay, I'm done with being invested in video games um, because I know myself. Uh, and, And there we go. I remember another time I was consistently filming myself training probably during the pandemic. People would probably remember I was just regularly putting out stories. And I started, modify. I noticed I modified a proximity to failure or an exercise choice, or I thought I did something cool for the camera, rather than what I had programmed or I thought was optimal for me, and I stopped. And I was like, I'll, I'll come back to this one when, when that's not in me. But I started playing, mm. I started getting played by the algorithm. Um, and that's something Omar has talked to me a lot about, and then we have talked a lot about, is that you have to be aware of the reward mechanisms of what you're doing and hold tight to your mission statement. Like I have a very clear goal within myself and we have a very clear mission statement of what's Iron Culture's like purpose and service. He has that with his YouTube channel. Obviously 3DMJ has a mission statement. Mass does. Everything I do, I have a personal intimate knowledge of, of what I'm trying to contribute to this space and what type of concessions make sense to... Like I might collab with someone but not develop a personal relationship with them if I think right now their you, you know their platform or, or or they personally and what they're doing or our collaboration is going to mutually benefit the community. Um, but if but but someone else might make the uh, the call of oh yeah, they' they're a net negative, but they'll help me grow. So whatever, mm-hmm. you know I'll get I'll, I'll get the forgiveness for that or they don't even think about it and they've just become now, the marionette getting played by the algorithm. What's going to make my channel grow regardless of that other stuff. And I'll just post hoc rationalize whatever I need to do to make that okay for myself. So I think that is something that we're very similar on, but he's just far better at being able to stick to his mission statement, make good content, but he has the artistic eye and the understanding and the solid basis of who he is to where he's actually been able to grow a very large YouTube channel while being incredibly authentic. And adhering to a mission statement while I'm just too, I'm just not as good at it, to be honest. (laughs) And I'm also targeting a more niche audience to some degree. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it, it's good to have some self-awareness of, of
0: what you're trying to reach, right? Like obviously the potential audience of not just evidence-based fitness, but I mean, obviously you promote natural bodybuilding and you do other things, but it's very bodybuilding specific, right? So to even yeah. grow to, I think you're at almost at 200,000 uh, like, uh, followers on Instagram or what you've had on on 3DMJ, even that I think is impressive because it is quite niche without having Maybe some of those external, uh, algorithm favoring content, you know, stuff like that. So, um, as far as being a nerd, any Super Smash Brothers here? Any any players? Yes, Omar 100%. Oh, okay. I was gonna say the, the first time I met up with Greg Knuckles, it was like, all right, we can podcast, but also we're gonna get at least a dozen games of Super Smash in. So, if I ever meet either of you guys in person, we'll set it up. Donkey Kong,
2: Donkey Kong. Hi. D.K. Hey. no he's not a, he's not a great character but we're we
1: talking n64 melee for gamecube or which one are we talking here i, I mean melee i'm, I'm assuming is, melee is prime melee, melee. is prime
0: melee is pretty yeah. prime pretty i will prime. say actually so you know it's kind of like you're like the strongest guy in your gym right until you go somewhere else and i was the best super smash bros player in my area went to college met a guy who incredibly good his brother was top five to ten in the world so if you guys have seen like those guys how absurd it is so that's when you see there's levels to this so i'm, I'm good on my local level and i'll say that i wouldn't uh i wouldn't stake my rep on it i think i'm
1: that i'm fine in a uh, funny tangent that is related to this i remember uh so unrelated to anything we said before kino body Gregor gallagher i remember he had a facebook statement uh, that he made like he had a post and he said something years ago. He said, man, is it just me? Like, I love whatever. It's like Smash Bros. He said, but the problem is it's too easy. I just can't, like, no one can beat me, right? It was like basically the summary of what he said. I said, and I just left a comment and I said, that's because your uh, opponents are too easy. And he said something like ha ha ha, are you real like uh you think you could take me or whatnot? And I just said I said something like what's your main, like who's your main? And he revealed it and I said that was your first mistake. And then and then I didn't respond to anything after that. And then he DM'd me, he's like, What do you wait, who do you play? And I just I didn't respond, but he's like, he was like, ready. Cause you you take, you know, some of the, these things are fun, they're good outlets. Do you know uh actually David, do you know uh, Saul Orwell? Yeah, yeah. Examine.com. Yes. Yeah, I haven't talked to yeah. him, but yeah. Ask him sometime. So he was all about Greg Knuckles was there. You should ask him. Uh we played one time Mario Kart 8. He was all about oh. that. And ask him what happened. I'll say we can uh share that off. But it's just <laughs> fun, like because it's like, you know, it's good like competitive, but like in a yeah. very contained way, the stakes couldn't be any lower. It's a video game. Yeah. Um true. let's get after it. But yeah, I uh I was gonna say that unrelated everything else also david i just want to mention for anyone that's listening maybe one person in this chat that Baldur's gate 3 was actually released this past year and it's apparently supposed to be stunning just throwing that out there don't want anyone to try and pick it up reignite another passion (laughs) do multiple playthroughs which apparently eric most people to pick up Baldur's gate 3 they do multiple playthroughs but it's it's supposed to be uh, like, well, now what I worse. do <laughs> to
2: save myself, and this is the equivalent of like, as, as like a, an ex drug addict, like just going to hang out in <laughs> opium den and just watching people, but not not actually partaking, is a I watch place. people play video games on YouTube during it. my lunch breaks, and that is how I keep <laughs> the animal inside um, just fed enough that he doesn't try to break out. So, I uh, for for listeners, I promise we'll get back to to fitness, it's but true. I do have
0: one unrelated. I mean, it's, it's kind of related, but not so much. Um, Omar, did, did I hear you say you're a big MMA fan? Yeah. Okay, so you follow UFC pretty closely? 100%. Are you Eric or no?
2: I don't think I could. In, in the same conversation as Omar, I would never call myself an MMA fan because he is a super fan.
0: Okay. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan. I don't know if you have any uh, predictions for what's the main card of 300. My buddy and I... Oh. like. We, There's so many good cards or so many good fights on 298 and 299. I feel like they used stuff everybody. Well, hold
1: on. Uh, Alex uh, Pereira, have they locked him down for someone? Because I thought he was supposed to fight Tom Aspinall, which would be insane. Like, I I don't know if that's the right move, but has he been... I know they're still shifting everyone, but has he been locked down? Because that's a big unknown and i heard about Izzy. like izzy was my guy Izzy's still my guy yeah uh, adesanya that they're trying to make something obviously the strickland um a uh, fight has to go down but there, there's a lot of there's many unknowns and then who cares about connor he's just honestly, yeah, he's an idiot is. but he sells but they're trying to get him lined up so um who are who are the ones that are actually confirmed now confirmed though the big uh
0: matches so, so Connor's going to be out until probably june yeah um yeah. So 298, Whitaker is fighting Costa, unless Costa yeah. gets injured for the 20th time, right? <laughs> it's going <laughs> to yeah. happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Volk is fighting Taporia. Um, that's coming yeah. up soon. Like you said, Duplicy and uh, Strickland. Um, yeah. I'm rooting for Duplicy there. Um, I'm trying to think. 298, I have to look back, but 298 is pretty stacked. You're right, though. Um, Alex is not tied up yet, I don't think. Uh, so that might be on 300. And then they put, man, there's a
1: few uh, ones. So I think, did they announce, which is terrible, that Charles Oliveira is going to be facing uh, Armand, which is so yes. bad because they're both fantastic fighters, but Charles absolutely deserves a rematch with Islam. So yeah. I wanted to see that one. Um, and then, yeah, there's a few where, um, what do you call it? O'Malley is facing Cheeto, which is cool. Yes. Like, I, I, I personally want to see O'Malley get wrecked
0: because I thought Yawn beat <laughs> O'Malley. Like it just was. I'm like, how did that this happen? Was, yeah, yeah, or even like just. Uh, well, I know we're losing people. I swear we'll get back to it. But but with um, you think about Al-Germain. how significant some of these things, like Jermaine getting the illegal knee, changed yes. his life completely. Yes. What that yes. trajectory led to is insane. And you got to think somebody like um like Lionheart Alex uh, um Smith Anthony Smith, you got to yes. wonder if he wishes he took that opportunity <laughs> against Jones, right? <laughs> like, it's, yeah, I don't know. No, it, it could absolutely change your
1: entire trajectory. Talking about uh, the heavyweights, and then this is the final one. But when, uh, um, Aspinall, when they finally got that fight organized, okay, we need to interim, like Steve can't fight John Jones, John Jones, uh, toward like his peck, I think it was. Um, and then that fight went down and he became the champion. And now it just it changes, which is why I didn't like Volk stepping in on short notice. There's a few no, fights I didn't like in the last Islam. six months, man. Usman yeah. against Chermayev. Usman's still a stud, in my opinion. It was yeah. 10 days notice. He was winning in the third, like he watched the fight, obviously. The momentum was shifting towards yeah. him, so like that. Um, Izzy, like Izzy beating Alex uh, was phenomenal, and then he just like, he fought too many times in such a short time period that facing then Strickland was very ill-advised. Couldn't adapt to a guy that I still maintain that Strickland isn't this elusive, like, boxing-style striker. He definitely could be beat. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's still an exciting time, man, to watch a lot of these fights. And there's a lot of super fights, very intriguing fights. My guy, David, and we'll wrap this up, is the 170 uncrowned champ,
0: uh, champ uh, Shavkot. He's my guy. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm well, when, when we're uh, off air another time, I'd love to chat with you more yeah. about it. So, oh, yeah, yeah, um, I'm big into it. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, I want to talk about pull ups because Omar, I have seen many videos over the years from you of how to grow your back, how I'm growing my back, biggest back ever. <laughs> so, big, big pull up fan. And I actually, I did your pull up specialization program. When I, I don't know how many there are, but I, but this was 2018. Um, and I'd have to go back and look through the log, but at the time it was, I'm, I'm guessing like 20 sets of pull-ups a week, uh, probably 30 plus sets of back per week. And it was, and this will tie into some volume stuff I want to talk about as well. But what was very interesting was I did it because I had kind of not really fully injured, but kind of tweaked my pec. And so I set to two sets per week of chest work during that time and, Strength stayed exactly the same. And that was like when I was like, okay, like maintenance volume for me, at least is like so dramatically lower, which is, is, you know, again, we can talk about that. Um, But I know you're a fan of pull-ups in general, at least for a long time you were. I would say that was a a huge mainstay. And actually one of the only things I still do, obviously over almost 20 years of training that has changed like what I do, pull-ups, heavy pull-ups are one of the main things I do still that I could like look back and compare to early days. Um, so was, was there always a love for pull-ups for you? Was it something that you feel was responsible for a lot of your back? And then obviously Eric, I want to hear from you too.
1: Yeah, I think, um, obviously I think I have an overemphasis on pulls just because I enjoyed the movement and that's usually what happens. Like I was having a great uh, conversation when the whole uh my kids were telling me the video about the overhead press and i was talking with like milo wolf about doing the overhead press is like okay like we need to find like what's an optimal movement, what's not optimal movement well what if you do a movement what if you're able to apply more energy towards a movement that might not be as optimal as another movement um what what would then be the end result and so for myself i really like doing pull-ups it was just a fun i mean i got when i first started lifting I was slightly influenced by body weight movements, just because at home we ups, then you do the pull-ups and so on and so forth. And it felt like one of those movements that how do you, how do you phrase this? That, you know, some of them, like if you're locked in and you're doing like a machine or so on and so forth, you really do feel like a bodybuilder, but there's a fluidity in the movement of uh, performing a pull-up or like, either like weighted and just like the movement through space that just feels good. Um, so my body responded to it. I enjoyed doing it. Um, and then I noticed the only compliment I got from one, Alberto Nunez, uh, when I saw him in person, he looked fantastically like, just his physique and everything else. As we did like a bit, like just with Eric, some um, posing stuff. The thing he said, he's like, You got a wide back. He's like, Yeah, but, and I was like, And my house, was like, <laughs> I'm like, that's all I need <laughs> here. From- Grace from Alberto himself. Check. There you go. Um, so it, it was one of those things where it's like, uh, as I'm sure like the terms and conditions that I said, it's like, this isn't the ultimate program to blow up your, but, but like, this is like, if you want to pursue a particular movement and you get a good response from it, like I do for pull-ups, go ahead and do it. Um, and so that's, yeah, man, like there's some, we have the, like the Bane back photo. Um, it's yeah, still yeah. like it, for, for years, it comprised basically of like 70% vertical pulling volume and i found like the body like the last just responded well sad story though that is related to our tangent that's why everything's related is uh so during the pandemic i picked back up i did muay thai years and years ago but there's no like gyms in toronto that did muay thai so they forbid then beside do the whole lifting thing anyways then during the pandemic i knew someone that was like a, a golden gloves uh, boxer i'm like hey i want just on the side pursuit for fun right like we're doing the lifting lifting's going very well Anyways, that's not how I injured my elbow. That is what I threw like a jab and I hyper I thought I hyperextended it. Hmm. Anyways, it eventually led to like the bone. That's not the thing that led to it, but it's the thing that notified me that something was going on with the elbow. And now unfortunately, sad moment. I can actually say this during the podcast because like the video will eventually uh like my video will be out. Is so I'm able now to do everything. I hit a 610 deadlift in December that like I'm post- so I hit a new all-time PR. And honestly, like I feel I feel good like we're building, we're in the mass phase towards like you know like six twenty or whatever. So that's good. I could bench press now. So the elbow, but the one movement, Dave, the one movement
0: oh.
1: that I can't do the volume I want, just to be safe yet. It's been a year and a half and we're just introducing more volume in pull ups. Oh man. I could do them, but I that. can't do them. Yeah, I can't do them to the level I want, but I would be, yeah.
0: Can I ask, um, or let Eric jump in here? What do you have a uh, like a rep PR for pull-ups, and maybe like a weighted PR? Yeah, I think
1: so. I was able to do solid, and now keep in mind I was probably one seventy-five at the time. I did thirty body weight. That was good. Like that. Like I'll like I'll take that. That's fine. Neither good nor uh, bad. And then I did do as a challenge. I think I never went um exceptionally heavy like you know how some people try and one rep max my approach with pulse was always volume and then i would the first several sets would be pretty far from failure but then by the time you get they're all like at at least rp8 but you're just like stacking set after set after set and interestingly enough now that some of the research is coming out about like you know length and partials and so forth there'd be many reps uh done with sets where you take them you do all complete reps and then you just try you're like okay can i like pull myself up, like how far can I pull myself up on the last rep? And I don't know, just because like, you know, on a deadlift, if you try and pick it up from the ground and you get to your knee, that's not a completed rep on a pull up. It's like, Oh, like, you know, I brought it up to my forehead, the last rep, as opposed to, you know, chin over the bar. Yep. Um, so that definitely could have been a factor, but yeah, man, I think like with a 45 pound uh, weighted attachment, I think I did like 19 reps. Like it's nothing nice. crazy. Yeah. Nothing, that's nothing good, I would yeah. say it, it's, it was never a movement. I don't even know what the potential is probably fine. Like, I don't think my, I've seen people do like 200 pounds, you know, like, assist,
0: like a plus 200 pounds body weight, but yeah, uh, it, it'd be like volume or high repetitions. Yeah. Yeah. So Eric, um, I, I think we actually have talked about pulse on one of our early podcasts. Is that just to you, just another movement, maybe don't even include it, not ideal, not helpful to the bodybuilding goals or
2: man, I wish it, I, I responded as well to pull-ups as I wanted to. I think um, like the big three, like snatch and clean and jerk, um, like overhead press, and uh, like many other kind of traditional either weighted body weight or barbell based movements, I have an affectation towards them. I have I have a, a desire to train in that way and to be a minimalist um, and to just be like the silver age kind of quote unquote. Uh, strength athlete slash bodybuilders. Like I want I've always wanted to be the the, the grimmick Steve Reeves, you know, Tommy Kono kind of guy who who does, you know, your your, your bent over rows, your pull ups, your deadlift, your squat, your bench press, your overhead press, um, some donkey calf raises with a hunky friend on your shoulders and uh and looks amazing. Um and it's not like I didn't develop a good, a good base of muscle, but I have literally done similar push pull up specialization phases. I did one during my PhD when I was constantly in um, these these different gyms to 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 run my studies, and I had a, a really long period where I was in a CrossFit gym, so I didn't have access to a lot of other equipment. So I was just doing like literally sets of pull ups just between every uh, like like opportunity I had between data collection, and then I remember in 2011 I really thought like i need to bring up my back which i kept thinking for a long time but only recently was successful at bringing up my back with and i did all the pull-ups in the world and i basically got like i saw a specific hypertrophy in my biceps and like terrace major but not a lot Hmm. in my lats so i've never really had a good connection with pull-ups even though i enjoy the movement and i have been decently good at them i've gotten in the mid 20s i think i even did uh 21 or 22 reps at over 200 pounds um so that's that's pretty good for for my body weight, and I think I've done sets of five with like seventy pounds for yeah. for training. I, I I've never really pushed them as a strength movement that much, but um, they were a huge part of my back training because that's what all the magazines and all the historical documents and all the cool silver age like historical lifters did. But um, to be honest, where I think I've improved. You know, I talked about this with Omar back in 2019 where I was able to really bring up my legs and where I was able to really bring up my back and make some notable improvements was when I started diversifying my portfolio a little bit more. And most recently with my back, it's, it's come from doing a lot of more like nerdy stuff that's, you know, that, that people would throw shade at cast for, you yeah, know, yeah. like single arm pull downs, uh, cross body pulls, focusing on length and partials. And, um, Spending a lot of time in 2011, 2012, just trying to get a really good mind muscle connection. I feel like, honestly, the back is like the one region of the body where that, that is a thing and really does matter because you can complete yeah. the movements with various other muscle groups and various other muscle groups in the back being the weak link. Um, that's when I started playing with uh, pullovers and straight on push downs. Um, I started playing with having a little more arc to my rowing. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it took me a while, but ultimately, I don't find for me pull-ups to be a very effective back exercise. Yeah. But if you were to tell me, hey, you can only choose six exercises, I might choose pull-ups um, okay. in one of those you know situations that you never actually have. But yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I always find it hard when when somebody says, I mean, obviously, you have some things that you just really connect with. But when when somebody asks me, like, what was responsible for the growth of this? And it's just, man, I don't know. I've done so many different exercises over the years. It's very hard to say. I'm sure that over a decade of heavy deadlifting and almost two decades of pull ups like that's contributed. um, I would say. I don't have like a great response to the like Bible in general, but my back is probably one of my better body parts. And I, you know, I was doing pull-ups from I don't know, like middle school on, I would guess. Um, but I do think back is the one area where I really see like going to what you said about my muscle connection. It's the area that I really see people who had a weak body part, bring it up to maybe even like a strong body part potentially. Um, obviously, we've talked about calves quite a bit, Eric, and I've just never seen anybody take truly weak calves to truly
2: strong calves. I've seen them improve, but and like, you don't consider me as someone who has weak calves, for the record, right? When I started, I, I didn't, I didn't meet that threshold, right? I'd have to look at your early pictures, but I don't. I, do you think you had weak calves, starting like relative to everything else? I maybe because I had good legs generally, but I, I've always thought I had weak calves, and now like I think I have like pretty good calves yeah but, um, i'll have to look at the uh i'll to check the tape on that one but i went I from like maybe a, a 3.5 out of 10 to a, to like a 7 out of 10 so i, I don't know that it's a I, I might be like this one standard deviation below okay. and not one standard deviation above so yeah well no i mean there's an
0: email between us from like a couple of years ago where you're talking about your and i was like man like you have solid calves. Like, I don't want you to think you're in this. That's why I brought up with Omar. I was like, this is a, you didn't let me in the
2: club. You're like, absolutely not. This this is 1.5 out of 10 or lower. You don't get to be with us. I was like, (laughs) all right. Um, But, but with back, I, I truly have
0: seen people take it from like a pretty mid back to like, Oh wow. Like you, you've really made some changes. And I think it does go to the fact that you have so many muscles that could kind of take over. If you, Change your positioning a little bit. It's just, I mean, even if I look at my videos, my pull-ups, um, Omar, like you're, you're being humble, but those are some pretty damn strong pull-ups. I, I've done thirty, but not a clean thirty, a uh, full range of motion, but you know they could have been cleaner. And then for strength, I've done hundred for six, and then one thirty-five for three, like like respectable numbers, but not like absurd. Um, but I can see the difference in like, okay, if I have pristine form that could cut to 80% of the reps, right? Like there's definitely a, a big difference there. And if I was saying, hey, I'm really trying to target everything perfectly, it would look different. And um, I've seen like John Meadows had some good stuff out on like really targeting the back in a certain way. Obviously, uh, Cass has, has done a lot with that over the recent years. But um, do you, do you, can you think of other muscle groups where you really see that? You think it's mainly the back?
2: I think it is mainly the back. And I think there's a reason for that. There's just a lot of different muscle groups that are contributing to combined scapular retraction shoulder uh extension and 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 elbow flexion all at the same time and you can you can get there a lot of different ways and then what is the limiting factor and then also the biomechanics of most back movements are such that um the hardest point is where it's the least stimulative um so yeah when when i see someone who responds really well to it's doing a lot of pull-ups my first thought is they're built well for pull-ups You know, they're kind of like a Tom Platz for squats type of deal, you know? Yeah. Um and um I I think it's interesting, both like myself and Alberto, we both did a lot of pull-ups and traditional back movements for a long time and kind of trained like your like your Ronnie Coleman, Dorian Yates, all the guy the guys like would you know, it's like big heavy duty kind of back training, like throw around some barbell rows, do some T bar rows, do some pull-ups. There's nothing wrong with any of the movements, but for us, when he really brought up his back and when I really brought up my back, it required a a more nuanced approach, getting a mind-muscle connection and then kind of coloring outside of the lines um, when we had both just tried high volume and also failure with the kind of traditional movements. So yeah, yeah, I, th- I think there is something to be said for you want to listen to the person who took a bad or an average body or a below average body part and made it, okay or above average or even good more often than you want to listen to the person who has like you look at them and they've got like you know wide shoulders and they kind of a good shoulder girdle and good posture and like they they probably had a pretty good back just when they were at the swimming pool when they were 12 and now they have a great back yeah um, not that i'm throwing shade at either one of you guys but so i think don't um, listen
0: to you for like training is what you're saying
2: yeah, like for, honestly, for me, some people have asked me like, "Oh, Eric, what do you do for your hamstrings?" And I'm like, "I don't know. They didn't even shrink when I tore it, you know." Like, <laughs> or or what? Do you, or what do you do for your abs? And I'm like, "Have a four pack all the time. Never do anything ever for them, ever, or they'll get too big, and then yeah. you'll be good." You know? So, yeah. No, I feel the same way with ab training. I uh, I've always kind of had blockier
0: abs, and when I get to even like twelve percent, they start to look pretty good, and I just don't really do anything for them. So.
2: My abs have messed me up. Like that's the reason why I got over a hundred kilos in my first like uh, few years of training when I had no business being over two hundred pounds. Oh, like you thought uh, you were leaner than you were, maybe? Yeah, because you read the magazine. It goes, as long as you can still see your top four, and I, yeah. I honestly think I would have type two diabetes with a top four. <laughs> like it doesn't. It's I just don't store a lot of fat at the top, and they're big. So yeah, I would constantly look at them and be like, "I'm good, bro." You know, like I'll. <laughs> It's like if you took Jabba the Hutt, but you took like the you know the the beer plastic, and you just pushed it on him. So you had the outline of abs. Like yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah, I was like three months post show at my heaviest weight I ever got to my first season from binge eating, and I still had my like my top four outline and clearly too heavy. Like yeah. you need to stop. You know. And you got up to like almost two thirty. It was two twenty six. Yeah, okay. and I had competed at one seventy eight. Like two and a half months prior. So, wow. yeah. yeah, It's like 20 pounds more than what should have been a stopping point. Right, right. So, and you,
0: right before we started recording, you were saying you feel like you've gained, I assume you mean you've gained new muscle, is, is what you're referring to. And Omar, I so saw you, uh, I think, I don't know, maybe a month ago, you, you talked about new goals, right? You want to get to the biggest you've ever been. Is that also accurate? Yeah. All right. And, and I'll complete the triangle. I'm the fattest I've ever been. So, you know, it, it's Yeah. <laughs>
2: That um, That's still big.
0: Yeah, I actually, well, I will say I'm not actually the fattest. I am six pounds lighter than I was at my biggest, and my arms are the same size. So I'm going to take that as a win. That, that took me, uh, it's like six years ago, but I would assume if I gain another six pounds to match that weight, you know, maybe a quarter inch on the arms compared to then. So we'll take it. Take it. Let's go. Look,
1: we're all bulking here bulking is the way bulking is life um yeah it's uh it's the first time i've done a true like a true true bulk i would have to check the notes and in terms of the length and duration i'm willing to do it in quite some time and i'm already being reminded not why i don't like it like a lot of people like you get like you eat more food i'm like there's a lot that goes with it you know that i think a lot of people don't realize such as um, so first, I do, I do have a very sensitive stomach, actually, like, I'm not mm-hmm. going to TMI, but, uh, like Eric knows a bit about that, but I went and saw Mike IsraTel recently, we filmed some content, but just the, the travel can really uh, mess me up. But just in general, um, I should have known that where I now know the calories, people will probably be shocked at this. But when I first started lifting, I was like 145 pounds. Um, and so, you know, calculated the numbers, it's like, all right, eat like 2,200 just to get the party started. It's like, like 2,200. And 2,200 calories of not, like, they were clean foods, like oatmeal, like chicken breast or thighs and, like, some rice. So, like, like clean, but not, like, absurdly clean where, let's say, there's, uh you know, eight servings of vegetables, so there's going to be a lot of volume. So, I'd say a good total volume, nothing that I think anyone would blink at. Uh, and I remember I would, in the morning, like, I'd feel like throwing up or I'd, like, like I, would, I couldn't complete it, this and that. Um. So, anyways, eating now the amount of food necessary it's just something uh that have to be focused on every single day because my default actually after one of our recent trips like the iron culture trip i'm like yeah like i what i want to do with my lifting and i was getting beat up like my body was getting beat up because i wasn't sleeping well like all those sorts of things I'm like no, I I was like 100 when we did the DEXA. Like I followed Eric's like thing. He was dieting for like a week, but like I started like 182.8, and then I ended up like you know 181 or whatever the deck Like it doesn't matter, but like I was lighter than I'd been in a, a while, but the composition just did not look good because I I wasn't uh, uh uh you know doing all the things that are necessary. So anyways, when I made the point to do it again this year, and I did take a look where. I think the last time I did like a real, real bulk and guess what? It was correlated some very nice strength gains truly over a period of a year was like 2014 to 2015 when I was like, as a PR season, but I did do one in 2018 into 2019 um, where I hit some PRs, but then I rushed it and that's where I have the photos with Eric where I hit 365, 370, 375 on the bench press in the span of like six, seven months. Like it was going well. And I was about like 189, 190 pounds. I'd say like good, and then I was like, I'm going to bench four or five. Like I'm like, I'm tired of this like little shit of just adding some weight. I did that. But then I was also squatting a lot, uh, bothered, uh, had a little bit of a knee injury, started bothering me. And so I just, I don't like how I feel, even if I do it right. So right now I'm, I have an elliptical, I take six to 8,000 steps a day, no foods, like I'm eating my average monthly weight gain is a pound to a pound and a half. So it's like it's nothing absurd but I just don't like the feeling. Like I don't mm-hmm. like the feeling of my stomach being constantly full. I rather train like on an empty stomach. So it's just very superficial. And that's why I was uh, talking to Eric it was way before, but when I did the 2019 cut, when I got in my leanest, David, I felt personally the best. Um, just the whole, like almost once again, quasi, we've spoken about this before, like spiritual pursuit, like the asceticism, where it's like, you know, you're just removing some things. You're focusing on the like raw constituent parts that are important. That feels like a journey. This feels like a gluttonous, selfish pursuit that I'm like rationalizing to myself, like, it's like it's for the best. So uh I'm having a lot of fun and the PR is like that's a, the deadlift happen. I feel like another deadlift uh, will happen in the future, deadlift PR. But uh some people really like to bulk like, my my buddy Lee, who's ginormous, um, he's like I just can't stop eating. But he right. looks very good. Like he's like he's if if he's bulking, he's excited. If he mm-hmm. has to like lose weight, it's he's a sad
0: boy. So you know, yeah. People are unique. It's funny how that can change to, at least for me, like when I, I grew up a fat kid, then I got yep. really skinny. So I went from fat to, by the time I was a freshman in high school, I was 5'11", 130 pounds, like borderline anorexic basically, and then bulk from there. But at the time, I mean, I would hear people who were too full and I was like, how, how are you too full? I could just always eat more. But as my body weight has gone up and obviously increased muscle mass and I think just a decreased appetite with age perhaps, um, it's just different. I just don't have that same desire. And now being two ten or so, I'm just like, I know I could lose five pounds in a week easily, like very easily, if I just ate by like my natural hunger. Um, I will also say that it's kind of funny because when I was young, if I were to eat a lot or eat, you know, I, I never really like cheated unless it was planned. But the guilt would come from potential fat gain, where I'd think, oh man, if I'm if I'm going to eat this, I'm going to gain a lot of fat. I'm going to have to diet now. I just have zero guilt about anything like that. It's actually more of like a whole thing. So from a health standpoint, I'm like, man, I don't think I should go to 220. I don't think I should eat the food I would need to eat to get there. Um, and it, it's just the the concern of a fat gain. I think once you, you've you been doing this for so long, you know how easy it is to lose it, right? I mean, I could gain, somebody could just give me 10 pounds of fat. And I'd be like, well, that's kind of annoying, but it's just not that complicated, right? So it's a very different experience in your 30s, I think, than when you're just getting started. 100 percent 100 percent um eric i, I want to talk about your new gains here and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna throw equal shade to abel here so he you know uh, A- abel would ask like how are you measuring this new this new muscle eric no he didn't ask that he said well you know what dave would ask right i'm saying you know yeah. what you know what abel would ask abel would ask you know how how have you measured this new gains can you quantify it
2: yeah, i measure it by this Flexing the mirror <laughs> yeah. brah that's all i know i need i got the laser the rods. photos are
1: the truth bro like we saw yeah. like, the stage photos from the back shot like i i was serious when i said that eric Where i saw like i would not like if you for whatever reason you know like just showed up and like you did not look better but you're just saying it like when you just be boosting yourself i'd be like man real proud of you like you know whatever but uh <laughs> this one is like there was yeah it's undeniable
2: I have too many people who are honest with me who would have told me. Like, Berto wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have, like, he might have during prep boosted me up, but then afterwards he was like, so yeah, you didn't make any (laughs) gains. You know, like, so you look the same, and... uh,
0: Yeah, well, um, it's interesting, Eric, because I I think, Omar, I think you and I are both fans of bulking up to heavier weights if you're trying to make net progress. I I know that is something that I've always believed is the best progress has come when I've actively gotten heavier, not, not saying like 25% body fat, but... The dedicated bulks have been where I've made the progress, and and Eric,
2: obviously, this is going to be very different for you because I think you said you don't even plan to go over one ninety. This is another one of those things where I have an affectation for it because I mean, if you read anything in the bodybuilding community and what I was told when I was coming up, it's like eat big to get big, you know, like all right, what was your stage weight this time, one eighty? All right, what was your peak off season weight, two hundred? Okay, we want to compete at one ninety, so we're going to get to two ten. It's like oh, that makes sense, the math, right? Um, And I went to the well so many times and came back and I'm like, I've definitely got water in this bucket. And I look and I'm like, there's nothing in this bucket, you know. (laughs) Um, And ironically, um, my, except for this last season, but I think it really just had to do with the fact that there was COVID and I didn't have any immediate goals for competing for a while. But if you look at besides my starting weight for the 2023 season, my starting weight for every season has gone down. Um, by like five pounds and i started 2019 um at just under 200 pounds for my stage weight i mean to to get to sometimes typically a heavier stage weight and this time i started at um 96 kilos versus 90 so 13 pounds heavier but i got to the same stage weight and looked better um and i've just come to realize like yes, I am six foot. Like, yes, I have some potential to put on muscle. Like, yes, I have decently good genetics, but I just don't respond in some of those traditional mesomorphic ways to things. Um, I don't have a massive uptake in in like strength when I get past a certain body weight. Um My bone structure is a little smaller. Like I've tried to, like if, like when I, when I coach powerlifters, I tell them, hey, the, the way you tell if the bulk is effective is if you're, Like ideally, if you're going to gain a bunch of weight, you want to wait for your like your coefficient should be going up to some degree, right? That that's that's a way you can tell, or at least maintaining the same. And when you're cutting, if you want to see if that's effective, your coefficient should be going up as you're losing weight. Um, And my coefficient, like my strength gains, are very similar when I'm pushing weight up to when I'm not. And it's really only the very, very end of prep where I start to see drop-offs in my strength. Um, like, I've actually, this time, with the plan I took, I've I realized I could actually be a better 83-kilo powerlifter than I could 93, which is nuts at 6 foot. And it's nuts at how lean I am at 83. Like, I've gotten on stage in that kind of condition, and I would look the part. Uh, like, if you, you could ask Grant Tinsley or Omar, like, I was around that body weight when, when I was down there. And I wasn't in pristine condition. I wasn't in professional-level condition. But most people would see me and be like, oh, when's your show? Or yeah. have you competed recently? Um, and that's not necessarily the best place for me to make great gains and be hormonally perfect and all that stuff. But I really am not that far off. And it's kind of like just below where I would probably want to be for an off-season. Like right now... I'm, I think 99, 98% recovered from my season and I'm 85 kilos and I was competing at 79. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I would say probably half that gain is fat. A lot of the rest of it is fullness, glycogen, probably organ yeah. tissue and some legitimate muscle regain. Actually, I think some new muscle. So like I've tried that so many times I've done the bulks, and I would say I've had one successful big time bulk, which was obviously earlier on in my career Um, but I could see where it started to fall off. Like I remember I pushed my weight up from like 170 to 190, 195 and body comp didn't even change. You know, Mm -hmm. I went from 12% to 12%. So obviously I gained some fat, but it was mostly muscle. And then because you're not a man, unless you're over 200 pounds, I pushed myself all the way up to 220, still had my top four and I had a, like a skinny background. So I just assumed it was all muscle. And then I thought, all right, well, I'm 220. I dropped 20 pounds. I'm gonna be shredded. Let me do a mock contest prep. And I got down to 194 and I was like back at 12% body fat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, hold on. So I gained four pounds of muscle, you know, after the first, t- t- like I gained 20 pounds of maybe, there was 17, 18 pounds of muscle. And then I gained another 20 pounds and only four pounds it was muscle. So, huh. yeah, which is still, which I look back and be like, that'd be awesome. I would do it again, yeah, you know, yeah. to gain that much. Um, And the next time I actually did a deliberate and then I tried bulking again. I get into to, 2010, I got up to 220. This was like 4 years later and I even hit some PRs, but that was before I was thinking about coefficients. So like I basically gained a pound on my bench press for every pound I gained mm, on okay. my body, which is which is nothing. And then I was seeing my squat and deadlift go up, but kind of at the same pace they were when I was not pushing body weight. And then I cut down for my 2011 season and body weight and stage weight were roughly the same. Yeah. So then, uh, the, the, la- the, the last time I actually did what I would describe as a bulk, it was much more similar to what Omar's talking about. I, I went from I gained about 12, 12 pounds over the course of a year with two mini cuts. So it was basically a pound a month for a full dedicated year and I got up into the just, just under 220. That was 2018. And then I did the, 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 some mini cuts to get down. Started at that lighter body weight and had my best physique on stage. And It's hard to say with that just eight years of continuous training or was that more emphasized in that that specific period? So this time I'm experimenting with, all right, what's actually the leanest I could be and feel recovered, sleep well, have a normal libido, um, train, progress, and just o- operate well? Because I think most people, there's a point as they're getting leaner where they just feel physically better and then there's a point which typically only hardcore lifters or bodybuilders experience where they keep pushing and they feel worse. And it's very difficult to tell is that because of what you're doing to get there, where you're at, or the time you've spent dieting. And it's also true on the way out. Recovery is basically a function of wh- where is your body composition relative to its settling point or your lower intervention point? How long have you been recovering? And how long were you dieting? How hardcore was the diet mentally and physically? And then also the, the, the behavioral components. So like the behavioral components I have a really good grasp on now with my experience. And this is my fifth time going through recovery phase. So I actually have the option of going slow. Most people just, they can't control themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm the leanest I've ever been in the recovery phase, but feel basically the same as I did at this point after 2019, where I purposely got up to 90 kilos. Like I gained 10 kilos in six weeks. This time I've gained... Um, I gained four kilos in six weeks and it felt about the same. Yeah. So I think I've learned finally, and it might be because I'm older too, or just more experienced, or my behaviors changed so much that I just don't benefit from being heavy past a certain point. I obviously know that things aren't great for me when I'm like, you know, shredded or anything like that. But um, probably from like nine to 12% body fat is where I'll be kind of bouncing. Um, yeah. If, if, if we assume that my, my my stage condition was four to five percent body fat and if we want to just kick all those numbers up by two percent i'd be fine with that because it's all estimations yeah, yeah. and guess. so um it seems like kind of a natural progression with a lot of guys where you have your big
0: bulks early on and then either because you just don't think it's that beneficial in your case or sometimes people are just like hey i'm just kind of done gaining so they just want to live life lean i mean most people if you got into lifting yeah. seriously Not powerlifters, but if you got into like the aesthetic side of things, you don't necessarily want to live your life at like 20 plus percent body fat. I mean, you kind of, if you did it to look good, you probably enjoy how 10 to 15% looks most of the time. Um and and even for myself, I've been thinking about like I'm I'm kind of bulking up just to kind of see if anything nets, but um realistically, like I'll probably live most of my life at you know that 180 to 190 as well. And and Omar, after this bulk, I don't know if you feel like you've got to transition into any other goals, but I would imagine that you like a little bit leaner as well.
1: Yeah. I, uh, so I'm being very pragmatic with uh, the training now. So it's like, what, what are the things, like what are the wins that I could get for sure, for sure. And I think, um, so a few of them as an example, like I never, so we joke about the calves, but I never really trained legs overall for hypertrophy, which is what leads me to believe and already my ties I'm doing a lot of like bulgarians belt squats like hack squats uh front squats uh just things like uh transitioning the leg training and like really upping the volume um that a bulk could be beneficial at this advanced stage um but there is that theoretical point where it's like you're not going to be building a lot more muscle and so why are you doing this and then also where would you be most comfortable and so I'd say from end of 2019, when I got down to like 180 pounds, 179, and then I, and then I did a, a lean mass uh, phase over a year, where I got like 184, and like the composition was basically similar. That that's where I was comfortable, and that's where I ultimately want to be around that body fat and how I felt. More importantly, like the day to day. But this one, it's kind of like not that it's the final uh, bulks, but I do want to see from a strength standpoint if there's anything left and so the initial pr it's good but i'm so dedicated uh, david to this that i purposely i must restrain myself because you get that the little momentum that you start seeing you do a little like squat single feels good it's like oh that was like 200 kg like that feels easy it's like i'm like in my head i'm like here's a 10-week program to like hit like you know like a like a 10-pound pr or whatnot so i i've excised basically back squatting of any serious nature like i do it still two times a week but it's 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 pure fluff it's just like walk in get your triple like peace out uh same idea actually with the bench press i'm pursuing like the incline bench aggressively i just know that once i start getting some of those positive signs potentially and i can extrapolate like i'm here here's my strength level here's how it's trending here would be some theoretical final destination so we're really uh david investing in the bulk and i might even one of the things I guess I eventually talk about on the channel, I'm, I'm thinking about extending it only because I'm, <laughs> I'm gaining the weight a little slower, which is fine. There's nothing like yeah. we had the holidays. I actually lost, like it didn't lose, but like I was under eating because mm. I was just chilling. Um, But I will do this as long as it seems beneficial. It is not one of those things that people talk about bear mode or like this and that or, or whatnot. I am definitely most comfortable. I'd say below 15 to 16 percent body fat and long term once it's done i think that's what i want to be man
0: yeah so this is your goals are both to be the strongest and biggest because and obviously as we get more advanced sometimes you really have to focus on one even within that i think for a lot of people that's saying like, isn't that the same thing if you're going to get bigger you're going to get stronger but obviously we we know that's not necessarily the same thing at an advanced stage so do you want to hit both
1: yeah like uh i'm i'm taking them Normally for a wide variety of reasons, because I do think life in general could be pretty volatile, like you don't know what's going to happen, like not in your li- like lifting is very predictable. And that's something that's very nice. Like if you do this, like this is probably going to be the outcome. Uh, but just like with business and everything else, like, you know, we all like, we're all busy individuals that to try and uh, forecast that for into the future, it's like, oh, like you kind of have to shut certain things down in terms of, you know, you, you want to be able to be there. And achieve the goal. And I'd say for strength for myself, at least at this point, I need to be able to consistently, if I'm uh, trying to really uh, peak in terms of my strength, be consistent for X amount of weeks, and that's like at least ten to twelve, and that's a long time to kind of lock everything else down. And so right now, that's why I'm kind of breaking up uh, David into phases. We're building the muscle. So first, it's like lower body a little bit. And then definitely gonna uh, have an upper body focus, but we're we're maintaining some skill of performing like a bench press and a squat, but not actually trying to get actively stronger. Just because I like I know myself, I know what happens, and I know how I will go off the rails. And that's why the deadlift is the perfect movement. Where right now, like the things I changed up uh, recently, is that my average my average single is probably like I I just did the six ten. I am reload. I think. I probably won't try the 620 soon, but like, it's, it's going very well. Like the singles, but anyways, they're, they're low percentages, man. Like my, I respond well in the Delos, but like, let's say the weekly average uh, uh, single would work out to be around like 85%. My triples are in the 70 some percent range. And then I'll just like uh, uh, build up for four to five weeks, build back down pretty large jumps. And so I have one single every single four to five weeks, that's like 90% and above, if that, and then the rest are just like low. And anyway, so it doesn't take, it doesn't take anything away from hypertrophy. And that's why it's still there. Whereas everything else, I understand. It's like, if you really want to make, you know, let's say 5% strength gains on every single one of the movements, like you need more mass. Like I need more mass in my legs. I need more mass uh, in my upper body, everything. And so pursuing both at once, I think I would get some results maybe in strength and some in hypertrophy but i'd rather go more all in so as the months go on actually david like the first the first we're like what month four and change and we're going to do at least a year first three months was just adding more volume and habituating the body with like certain things like this elbow in particular sometimes it gets sore it's feeling better now um and now we're just going all the way in so yeah yeah it's exciting
0: Nice, man. It it seems like you're pretty I mean, I know, obviously, everything gets skewed with social media and like some of the true, true freaks out there. But it seems like you're you have good size, but your strength is more impressive than your size Like relative. Do people tell you that you're strong even for your size? Because I know that was something
2: that
1: I I only hang out with exceptionally strong people. So it's terrible because my my buddy, so my buddy (laughs) You should ask
2: me about that. Not Omar.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah because 'Cause I'll just say quick and then I'll give it over to Eric that so Walter, uh Walter's my boy, Walter Carriazzo. So he's won nationals three times. Um we I call him Omar we call ourselves like the Tropical Twins. He's uh plus one standard deviation above me, I'd say in terms of his potential, where like he competed at ninety-three, now he's competing at one oh five. He deadlifted recently on a stiff bar in comp, eight hundred pounds. Um like he's he's exceptionally strong. But he, anyways, he went to nationals three times. He went to worlds in 2018. He placed fourth. Now in his 30s, we're uh, the same age. He's actually peaking once again uh, at the 105s, and everything's going great. I think he will win nationals for Canada. And with the total he's posting, which I believe, knock on wood, everything goes well, it'd be around 900 kgs of 105. Um, he has elite. room also to spare. Yeah. So, so, anyway, he's like, he's really good, or even like, the dude that does our social media for Rascal, uh, David, uh, Luke. Luke has – he's an 83 kg lifter, and he's he he missed 300 kgs. He hit 295, I think, is his best. But they're just like really – you know what I mean? Like they're really good lifts. So, yeah, we have to we have to remember the population. Yeah, uh, And if we do that, I would say like, yeah, the strength gains are good. I definitely think I have more, but I will not do anything that will jeopardize long-term progress. Like one of the things that I eventually want to do is – the squad i'd have to shift back down to low bar uh just like it biomechanically it's just better but usually it grizzles my back up a little bit but we'll see so i'd say yeah the strength a little bit more uh with the people that you train with you, you often uh do definitely don't think about that because you're just training with uh you're privileged to be training with people at such a
0: high level yeah i i remember that video with you and silent like many years ago and I, I don't remember the specific numbers but you had said something like you thought his strength potential was like 98th percentile and yours was maybe 90th or 95th. But um, before getting into the YouTube scene, I I certainly was relatively like one of the stronger people among my friend group and whatnot. Um, I mean, I mean, in college, especially even back then, I mean, I went to like a, maybe 6,000 people in the college, like not like a huge college. And I was doing about a triple body weight deadlift. So 170 around 500. And that just wasn't that common. And now it's just like, Oh, like, 500 you started lifting that's nice you know it's just such a different world
2: um and and eric you had comments on it too yeah i mean i i've been acutely aware of because i I had a very young age in my training career i got the privilege of working with some very high potential strength athletes you know i coached bryce lewis literally through his whole um training career from his first meet till his last meet and um you know bryce is an example of someone who's in the 0.01 percent percentile of power lifters right and um because of the timing of when i started working with him you know seeing him deadlift you know 680 pounds at at like 181 you know and then in that meet that was when i really realized like there was two guys attempting uh you know 700 pounds and they were super heavies you know and then bryce won best lifter and that was bryce at like intermediate status, you know, as, as we know, he went on to deadlift over 800, squat over 700 and bench, uh, you know, 500. So, and so like when, when you see that, um, and you get to see the, the field of powerlifting explode, it gives you a different perspective than even hanging out in the bodybuilding world. I remember there was an interview I did with Alan Aragon in 2011 or something like that. And he was talking to me about my bodybuilding career and he's like, well, you may not be the biggest, but you gotta be one of the strongest bodybuilders. And I was like, no, I mean, like, you, like, you know, like it's I, I get it. I can deadlift 500 pounds, you know, and, and that that is a thing on the Internet right now. But it's it's just um, at the tippity top, man, it's pretty wild. And I would say, like, I am a standard deviation below Omar. Having hung out with Omar, I think just from a sheer like muscularity standpoint, like if you were to do a DEXA scan on him and how much lean body mass he's carrying. bones. Yeah, I lean saw, body mass. What was that about? It you have
0: like a four, four standard deviations. Yeah. I just saw a comment
2: somewhere about that. Yeah, so Omar is built like a strength athlete. Like, um, he has robust joints, even though he's got injuries and he's a little like injury prone. I think that's probably one aspect that kind of holds him back a little bit. But, um, yeah, like Omar could probably be competitive at the national level in the right weight class. If he did everything right, he could probably go to worlds. I don't think he would, and probably place like, like if, if Omar had a dedicated my whole life, I'm going to be a power lifter and I was able to avoid injuries. I think he could probably be, um, at worlds competing in the 83s and place and like at the lowest level. Like the, in, in the, no, in the middle. Like I think I think you'd be all right, like like ninth, tenth, eleventh, somewhere in there. Um, and I actually think he's probably because he's reasonably athletic too, I think he would do better as as like a under 90 kilo strongman competitor. He would mm. probably be even better at that. Um but there's a difference between um bodybuilding and being big. And like training for strength has to include training for size, but training for bodybuilding. Is slightly different um so like i i think like if you look at omar's leg structure some of the attachments aren't favorable or if you look at some of his relative limb lengths to one another they're they're not ideal you know and like there's a lot to be said for just the aesthetics of a waste once put together in their bone structure um like if if that's that's why i always kind of make fun of like like, or why like you know you and abel like they, they got shade thrown at you because my stats would indicate omar would just be a better strength athlete and bodybuilder than me but um i think i have more talent for bodybuilding than omar um like just just from the way i'm put together and like that's not something maybe you could quantify it if you measured like every single point and it had an ai algorithm you're like oh it's actually because on. of the uh you know the the, the tendon locations or, or i don't know um but um yeah like there's 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 some of that stuff is unrelated you know um yeah. to, to what we traditionally think you know like people are like oh like what's your height your weight and then can you give me your arm measurement and then your waist measurement and then i'll know i'll know if a if you're natty two how much we look similar or if i'm better than you you know like the, sometimes you get the the really quantitative keyboard warriors and you're like yeah. this is this is not the way this works at all you know but anyway, yeah. it, well,
0: it's yeah. very it is obviously, as you know, I am very interested in the, the measurements and whatnot. But I do think it's it's not that I think, oh, I mean, something I talk about is how dramatically different it can be. I mean, if you look at some mm. pictures of like Abel, um, his arms are barely 16 inches and yet they, they look great. They, they look great. And um, we have I don't know if you've heard us talk about this. So um, we're the same height. So like just over six foot, six one. And I have a six four arms man. And my arms could be an inch bigger than his and look significantly less impressive. Um, My just from the hips down to our feet, even at the same height, I have about three or four inches longer legs than him. And when you look at him, it's like, oh, wow, he's got these great legs. His he has like 22 inch thighs and 15 inch calves. But those short limb legs, it's just it's really amazing. So it's not that like I. I try not to get like hung up on it. It's more just fascinating to me. It's fascinating that people could have similar quote unquote size and just look so different from a, from a bodybuilding perspective. You know, if if all three of us even were walking down the street in hoodies, we might be considered similar size, but you know, we would look dramatically different on stage and, you know, different leanness and all that stuff. So it's very interesting.
2: No, hundred percent. And I, there's definitely something to be said for taking your own measurements and comparing them over time in similar conditions. Like I, I, I do that sometimes, you know, and and by I do that, I mean I have like an ISAC anthropologist, one of my PhD students do it for me. But um, like there's definitely value in that. I, I think it's just um I often give a little pushback because people will 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 favor one versus the other and forget how much of the subjective uh look is is actually what matters and what people go for. Like if, if a body fat percentage spit out something that you thought was your goal, you wouldn't stop dieting until you looked the way you wanted to, right? Or, right. you know, if... And, and you know, we all see the delusional guys who are like, yeah, I've got 20-inch arms, and it's like, you have diabetes, is what yeah. you have. And, <laughs> you know, like... um, And if you dieted, like, you would lose equal inches off your arms and waist, because right. <laughs> it's got it everywhere, you know? So, I think some people get hung up on it. I actually don't think you're one of them, as much as I give you shit. But, um... And I think there is value in being objective, but I think you also have to know how much measurement error there is in the things that you put reliance into, and that's a a big consistent issue that we have in the fitness industry. Sure. Um, and having an understanding of what time frame something changes and what is a proxy for it, or or what's the actual thing you're measuring. Yeah. But yeah, one no more. But um, yeah um that's all
0: in terms of uh i mean it's not really an intangible but you know just we were talking about mma a lot you know with with such a crazy bone density sometimes you see these guys like i I used to wrestle and it's like you just get some people who just maul other people right or like you look at like like islam makachev it's like what is going on with this guy (laughs) that it's just a different and i i wonder if sometimes i wonder that like if just The bone density and things like that like i wonder how much mma potential you would have had you know or like obviously it's not like a free like a brock lesnar where it's just like you know that it defines built differently right so a few things i want eric's opinion on this because
1: eric would know more than me um a few things, yeah. I I picture myself more. I'm going to give you a funny uh, reference, David. I picture myself more like a Chris levin You know, like what are the skills? But he has a chin. Like, can he? Is he going to go down? But would you agree with this, Eric? Maybe that it's like it's a byproduct of the training. But probably of note about the bone density was that the skull was very dense. And like, how how is that influenced? Like, serious question by yeah. one's training. And that was like. Like Graham was saying, it's like, you had a very dense skull. It's like, uh, here we go. Like, do you agree with that, Eric? That it's like so genetic component, like natural disposition. Uh, uh, how do you say, it? like a, a potential, and then also like through the training that we do, that you know lifters uh, over time definitely accrue like uh, thicker bones or denser bones.
2: Absolutely. Like both Omar and I were, quote unquote, off the scale. Um, but in in a population of of uh, of, of lifters, were probably pretty close to the norm for anyone who would seriously train for strength for more than five or six years. And then Omar is like, Whoa, but primarily in his skull, which you would think probably is an, a, a better indicator for his natural predilection for bone density, because that's not being loaded by the, uh, by, by, by what we're doing when we train, you know? Yeah. I going to say a lot, of, a
1: lot of neck work. <laughs> I will, add, I, I will say this. So, uh, you yeah. know, like it, it's, There's no pride in saying it's like either like street altercation or this, that is like the only time I've ever, because I did do Muay Thai that I've been knocked down because I've been like punched. This like all the various things, which did, did, did make me think I'm like, I knew I could like take a shot now that I know it's just due to like a bent skull is when I was doing Muay Thai one time, this dude, to humble me, which is the worst. Like, you should not... It's like, in BJJ classes, like, this is a faux pas. You're not supposed to do this. Like, a, like a, a blue belt. So, they'll sometimes do this to people that look like they lift just to humble them. So, like, a guy yeah. will walk in or a gal, you know, that's, like, more built. And so, they're like, yeah, we, we should humble this dude because this, this person's gonna, you know, uh, think just because that muscle, they could do it. And so, they'll put the person, like, in a chokehold that... Uh, like, realistically, you shouldn't. Anyways, a very similar thing happened. Not... I wasn't, like, very built at the time, but... I was doing the Muay Thai, and there was a guy. He was like a heavyweight striker. Okay, so he's like two fifty, okay. and I was like one. And I was like one seventy at the time. Anyways, and he asked afterwards because we're doing the class, and it was like fun. The like guys having a good time. He has to be paired up with me, and he's like he had been training for eight years, like something crazy. Anyways, and I remember this. So you know, Crow cop style. Pro cop was his guy. He threw a high kick. That like hit, I did not see it. It's always the like uh, uh, strike that you do not see. That's obviously the most dangerous, and it hit me full on in my head. Like, bro, it was like Leon Edwards, Kamar Usman. <laughs> oh,
0: no. And I
1: took and I took a knee, and I just remember like my world was. I was like, I've never felt like I've been like put like right on the chin, this and that. Yeah, so all I gotta say is credit to the skull because that like I actually. Now that I think about it, like, he, like, bro, he, he blasted. me with that. Me. Yeah, like, no, it's not. Because he, I forget what, because ah, it doesn't matter, but he definitely wanted to uh, yeah. humble me. But I just remember it's like a rocket kick. And I was thinking, what happened? So,
0: it's usually, but, like, smaller guys who want to, hum- like, it's interesting that he would even try to do that as someone who was also heavier than you. You know, that's. He
1: was a, he was a, he was a front dude. Like, just like, just, I don't know. You okay. like, just just had a bad attitude but yeah he 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 whipped that high kick out yeah uh david out of nowhere anyways just a, as a funny aside so who knows we I, eric and myself like uh i'm joking, we're here's in toronto i with eric i said eric i don't like the way these people are looking at us and eric's like at the time eric had like just a little like neck thing going on he's like oh, I, had a,
2: I, I had a pretty significant neck injury that like <laughs> i had lost uh 50 of strength in my in like uh-huh. my rowing like, like, I had a bulge disc that was actually putting nerve pressure on it in 2018. It, it resolved itself, but I was at the point where I was one referral away from potentially considering neck surgery. Wow. Um, so, but he was like, we were we were at a Toronto bar and this guy was giving Omar the eye and, uh, and he was like, I don't like the way this guy's looking, we're going to have to fight these guys. And I said, Omar... <laughs> I got your back, got but there's you. a 50% chance that if I take one shot, I'll be paralyzed for life. Yeah. And that will end <laughs> the fight. Like, like if I'm just on the ground, like, you know, like it'll will, will be good. So I got you either way, whether I'm a successful fighter I, or, or,
0: or I get crippled immediately. So I, I went to one, uh, Brazilian jitsu class with Mike Israel when he was still in Philly. And, uh, it was just, yeah, I had obviously never done it before and I was mostly just kind of watching, but there was a purple belt there and they were all, they were all chill. Um, but I, cause the guy was maybe, maybe mid-40s, obviously a purple belt, pretty experienced. And I just said, like, I'm kind of just curious to just, like, go at it. Like, because they were saying you can't do any rolling until it's been, like, three classes. I was like, can we just try it? And obviously, you know, humbling experience. I kind of felt like I held back a little bit because – and this is such a, a dumb way to think, like, as if you're going to do anything to a purple belt. But in my mind, I was like, I'm pretty – I'm a lot bigger than this guy. Like, maybe I should hold back, which I'm sure I did not need to hold back. But it, it's just – consistently uh, jiu-jitsu is a humbling experience from what people talk about
1: oh yeah yeah we're, we're waiting for our jiu-jitsu arc don't worry that's that's going to be the yeah. next way. It, it came and went and then it came again
0: we're going to catch the next wave yeah yeah so uh i just had one or two other topics um if you guys have the time you guys are good for a four-hour podcast right you mentioned I just did one i got, I got <laughs> another 10 minutes <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh yeah no that, that should be good so um one was just about a more just like broad spectrum in terms of how you guys think, because I, I remember, Omar, again, years ago, you talked about aestheticism and um and, and for people who are listening, not aestheticism, but, you know, it's just a uh, the, the mindset of it. And I, I haven't maybe heard you as specifically talk about it, Eric, but I know that you guys feel similar. I, I believe from a philosophy standpoint, you guys feel similarly. Is that something that came about just like your own natural interest i've talked to other people who knew you omar who said like you seem to be well read um and it made like a deeper thinker was that at all related to like a fitness thing or you had just tied that in there no it wasn't related to fitness
1: it was like i think The things that you do they tend to be congruent over time the way you think and so for me to be attached to something like lifting and get a deeper meaning from it my conviction has to be there and so there's many like you know like a squat is just a tool right like what are what are we using it for what's its intended purpose and i think that's why like i joke about the whole bulk that um when I'm really bulking and gaining all the weight and we just spoke about asceticism and like it does feel gluttonous And you think about people don't have this opportunity, this luxury of having a high food availability at any time and we're eating, you know, like these super high quality foods so like the protein, the this, the that and we have access to all these things and I'm like, (laughs) and the question like Joe, like, that is always in the back of my head. It's like why? Not like a why? Like like why even get big? It's like I think it's cool to lift. Like I like lifting, but just the idea of like wow, this is like this is pretty selfish. You know what I mean? Like you're in you're in the grocery store and you have like let's say whatever like your four dozen like eggs and like there's like a family that's trying to like budget whatever like just the food for their children and you're just like you know you're looking at like uh, steak. Oh, no, I, I've had steak too many times today. You know like it's a, so it, there's an incongruity yeah. with like the the way that you want to operate as a human and some of those things so i think just um the the less friction you have in your life like the more once again congruent you feel like from an ideological level i think it's just a lot easier for me to operate and that's and that's when i feel most comfortable when i feel most productive and all those sorts of things and i don't know if uh, eric wants to kick it because you said about eric actually has spoken about it uh, this himself so i don't know if uh, eric wants to answer
2: yeah I think was it was it me who coined the aestheticism over aesthetics? I can't remember. I think that was early on in Iron Culture, wasn't
1: it? Uh, you said, yeah, yeah. Like we had similar thoughts, but you spoke about like, and you said something like that. Yeah, yeah. I
2: don't, I don't remember, but um, but yeah, no, like I, not not to say like um, because obviously we you you've had a a philosophy behind what you're doing for for the the whole time, and and so have I. I think I think for me, it really just comes down to I. The reason I started lifting differed from maybe the many reasons that most people start bodybuilding. Um, I think, like, the typical trope for the typical male is oh, I, I started lifting because I want to impress girls, and I found I just impressed all these guys. Ha 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 ha, ha. you know. And um, I never had uh, insecurity about the way I looked, and I didn't start lifting to change the way I looked directly. I was lifting to get bigger and stronger, but it was more from a perspective of feeling powerless and having an outlet and in self empowerment so i think most of the time whether it's conscious or not most guys who lift at least have some element of i'm moral, morally superior from lifting because i'm more of a man or i don't like who i looked like and it's better to look better and better equals this kind of traditional view of masculinity like it's it's not always and i'm not like throwing shade at anybody and there's nothing necessarily wrong with embracing this as some way of expressing one's masculinity if you identify in that way. But I have never felt more or less like a man from lifting or or better or worse or thought that it was better for me to be bigger versus smaller or felt a moral superiority from what I get out of lifting. I definitely went through a phase where I had a moral superiority. I have more discipline, dedication, and I'm more committed to my goals than other people as we all do, and we see people then do express that online or they're shitty trainers because of it. But I think for me, because I didn't follow into those typical tropes, like I grew up um, like with martial arts and um, I've, I grew up reading Eastern philosophy, um, especially like in my kind of Air Force years, which are the equivalent of the college years for most people, um, when you're trying to be interesting. That was my, my interesting arc. So I think, I think for me, for me to commit to lifting what it became was an expression of, of mastery and self-discipline and commitment to something and wanting to stick with it for the long haul. And I think what Omar said, I definitely identify with, like, you know, squat's a tool. And I think from a really big perspective, for me, bodybuilding and lifting is, is a tool. It's a, it's a way to refine yourself. Um, it's a way to hone down and connect with something on a very simple level and uh, push your limits and see what you can accomplish. And it's a testing ground. Um, so for me to reach my genetic potential for, for natural bodybuilding, it, it's, it's, it's far more related to those things to see what's my maximum strength potential. But I, um, like ranking myself against other people, that is something, obviously I compete, I care about that, but it's a little bit separate. That's kind of like, oh, I'm also a competitive person, which I've, you know, kind of learned a little bit later in life. And, and I want to see how far I can take it. And okay, where does my potential stack up against other people? Um, Cause that's kind of neat and it's fun. I, I don't know how to, I, I don't think it has that much depth to it, the competition side of it, but yeah, absolutely. The, um, I think some of the same reasons that I enjoyed martial arts or, um, the kind of singular pursuit and focus on something and just letting everything else kind of drain away. Cause you get a sense of purity and flow state and you can get a better, I, th- I think you understand yourself better when everything else falls away. Like, um, when you're, you know, like I I don't meditate. I've tried meditating many times in my life through martial arts. And I've, it's not something that seems to suit my ADHD personality very well. I'm not great at it, but you know, some of the ways you get better at certain forms of meditation is okay. You focus on one thing. Like most people are understand like in mainstream kind of like, you know, like headspace, for example, like, Oh, focus on breath or counting or this. But the goal is eventually to focus on nothing and just be present. So, I think there's um, a state you can get into when you're getting really good at anything, like the flow state. You might be shooting free throws, you might be cutting sushi, you might be really trying to stay in the same position and grind through uh, a set to failure um, where you are just there. And I think that is exists at a moment in time and is a very specific thing and state of being. But there's also the philosophy behind that and that, okay, I don't want to bring that into my life and I want to be more focused, more present, truer to who I am, aware of the, the things I do and who I am that I do and don't like or want to change. And I think without some level of, um, for better, for lack of a better word, self discipline, um, it's it's difficult to achieve those things. So self mastery is a pathway to self betterment, is a path, is a pathway to improving society. And I think you can do that as a musician, a martial artist, a bodybuilder, a chef. Uh, a documentarian or whatever you know i think pursuing and mastering a craft is something that i value and i just happen to have the right personality time in life circumstances trauma to be honest that um that that has been lifting for me rather than it starting as something very very different and i'm really not judging anybody whatever brought someone to lifting great you know um i think it just didn't it didn't really ever change from that so I've had a relatively similar relationship with lifting that's just I became better with and more aware of rather than me going oh I'm lifting to get chicks and that didn't really work out but I found I really liked lifting like I've never identified with that so for me I've kind of always just gotten deeper and deeper into the philosophy which has led to me learning the history of it and getting involved in the the methodology of, of science behind it and all that so I think if people understand that they might understand why I'm so nerdy about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, sure, man. That's awesome. And that what you just said about time with the history and all of that ties into the last thing I was gonna ask you about, which is basically just iron culture. You know, I, I mean, I know you guys talked about how you got into it, but and I haven't followed actually the fitness industry in general as much recently. Um, just a lot of stuff been going on. But I know Omar, there was the announcement with like the History Channel, which is obviously a huge thing. Um, so just going forward, what does iron culture look like for you guys? Well, Eric, we uh, we brought
1: on, so now it's a triumph for it because we decided we want more science. So, greatest free agent acquisition potentially in sports history. We now have Eric Trexer, because I said, Eric, do you know anyone else like you? You said, I know another Eric. Different personality, but, you know, like a same, similar pursuit, natural bodybuilder, so on and so forth. Um, so, that honestly has been, in my personal opinion, I'll let uh, Eric speak an exciting addition just because um, Helms has done such a good job of bringing a lot of his uh, like colleagues from academia and so on and so forth, have these fruitful conversations. But sometimes when you want to have some of these conversations, you want like a dance partner to have it or someone like where they've not only read the research, like they know it intimately so they could bring something up and it could spark like once again, this conversation. And so, uh, you know, it's history, science, culture, and we have like the guest host like Jordan like Connor Heffernan, Dr. Connor uh, Heffernan on that's always uh, fantastic. So I think I think to me it feels like uh, the mission statement of Iron Culture we're fulfilling in the sense that every single facet we've been able to dive deep and being the hipsters that we are, like uh, uh David, like the, the Indiana Stones, uh yep. the lifting of the stones where he's now I, I predict David as an David. example. Let's say again, yeah, that uh he will his story or the irish lifting stone history will get more and more notoriety it's just very it's been very cool to participate in the culture either like the athletes so powerlifting bodybuilding talking with the history with a uh, connor or the things that are pertinent to the audience so like new research coming out or like we bring on some of the emerging names like a like a mile wolf to talk about length and partials or like a pack to talk about the minimum effective dose stuff or like wh- whatever the case might be so i think uh, we've gotten comfortable in terms of the flow of what we want to cover what our scope is um the way we want to pursue it too to your point uh david about like do you scale something up how do you do this or like which way do you want to go and like there there's a pathway for everything you know to become more popular in quotations would it mean losing a bit of what you want to do potentially like i'll, I'll give you an example um one of the so barbell films right barbell films there was an excellent like so i watched his documentary he did an amazing job that episode and this is no shade about this that episode but that episode was never going to get a lot of views well if we're just a view focused podcast then that is one of the things that gets once again excised From our choice, nope. Like we're not going to do that. We're going to pursue again. Like, hey, Eric, we're going to talk about protein again. Like, how many? uh, How much protein? And so you do all these calculations uh, behind the scenes. So it's a blend of those two things. But what's comfortable, I'd say, uh, David, is we've never had to make any compromises. We actually have taken zero sponsors, despite like we do get like I I get the emails and stuff, and like a lot of them honestly are are lame, anyways. But but we've been able to do it our way. We've uh, gotten over twenty thousand subscribers just from the podcast, and we've gotten. Over four years like uh now basically like five years um we have gotten I need to take a look at it, but it, if it's a million and five a half million years, downloads yeah at least at least yeah yeah very okay, good nice. so very good between that and uh, a YouTube so yeah I'll, I'll let Eric answer but it's been great
2: yeah it's actually a really great connection back to our original conversation around content creation and and why Omar hasn't fallen off um, like we we started iron culture with a very clear Identified problem. The fitness industry and even the strength community is heavily siloed, um, doesn't share information well, has lost its history, has a recency bias, and is heavily influenced by social media and forgets its own history. The history isn't always pretty, uh, you know, or, or even necessarily something that we want to carry forward, but you really are doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past and you can lose things that are quite rich. And there is, you know, missed opportunities for education and elevation of knowledge uh, when you don't cross talk with other people doing really similar things to you in the lifting community that used to be unified. Right. Um, And the disconnection between what physical culture is and what lifting is now heavily influenced by like commercialism and not having the connection to like form follows function. And this should be a holistic pursuit that betters you as a person. Like, I think there's negatives from that. So we identified that and we went, all right, so how do we unite these things? It's like, well, we kind of have to talk about them separately because they are separate in, in modern times. So history, science, culture. Now, the thing where it connects to what we were talking about earlier is if we were like, all right, we want to grow this because it's important. Our mission statement now is to grow iron culture. Man, these hypertrophy episodes are crushing it. Let's just do mostly those. Yep. Now, all of a sudden, we're only, we're, we're like easily to see subverting our mission statement. So, um, yeah, having David Keown on, um, like, you know, Indiana Stones, who is like, it's going to be an incredibly important episode for people of Irish heritage who are interested in strength to watch it. But someone who's really interested in uh, Golden Age bodybuilding may just not really get it. They're like, oh, I thought Iron Culture was going to be about Schwarzenegger, you know. And But when we have the episode where we interview the journalist who's the son of the guy who directed pumping iron, like, oh, this is really cool, you know. Yeah. But that's not going to be really interesting to the people who are interested in, in like the current top level IPF powerlifters. So sure, by definition, we've throttled the reach we can have. And I think given that, I think we've done a really good job. And for the people who, like, you can't know that you wouldn't like a more holistic look into the iron game until you know it exists. And that's one thing I'm actually very proud of us is that um, a lot more people have an awareness even of some of the things that they were completely unfamiliar with. Um, One easy example is just like these whole Natty or not crusades were basically completely ignorant of history. And I think now there's this whole other element to that conversation, just from looking at pictures of people who were walking around before steroids, you know, that wasn't a thing in in the peak point of the Natty or not discussion. So I feel like we've, we've directly influenced the culture and what I would like to think is a positive way. Um, There's not many people talking about why you should lift for your whole life and pursue things. And and what is it like once you hit a plateau, because everyone's all about progress and making the next PR or making something go up. And um, I think that's ultimately the same reason why we see an increase in steroid use is if, If I can't find a way forward, I have to find a way forward because there's no point in doing this unless I'm seeing some type of progress that the community says counts. But there's all these other ways that I can benefit from lifting, which no one is talking about or very few people. Yeah. So we're doing that, and it's really cool to have Trex on board. It's really cool to have this expanding and like you know cinematic universe around us with the (laughs) additional hosts and guests, Um, the people who have the guests who really resonated with what we're trying to do um we still have on and it, it, it makes sense that not everyone would because we bring on specialists to a generalist podcast um and uh another thing that i'm really excited about is that we're we're kind of trying to nut down and figure out what are we going to do with this documentary that we mm-hmm. filmed and you know neither one of us are documentarians but we have learned that the filming process while it feels like ah done that's like probably a one-third of the work because editing and making an actual film and narrative out of a bunch of disparate footage takes time but yeah. i think that'll be a really interesting pursuit i don't know what that's going to look like um and it did take a lot of time energy effort um and you know illness on omar's part to, to get to getting all that footage but i think now that we're starting to recover from that in 2024 we'll be like we did something pretty incredible here let's let's really make sure we can get it out into kind of a cohesive format because not everyone is going to listen to a weekly podcast that has 20 minutes of banter that you won't even get if you didn't listen to us three years ago to then get to the the topic but I think when we have the Iron Culture documentary that'll kind of give people like okay this is what we're talking about and it unifies all these things which is you know a challenge I'm not saying it's going to be the best documentary in the world but we're going to give it our best you know college try Yeah, um, I think that'll be something cool and uh, I'm committing to that coming out sometime in the next decade <laughs>
0: awesome stuff guys so well thank you for being gracious with your time thank you guys i know coordinating with uh, a group is always tough so thank you guys for that and uh, i'm sure everybody listening has heard it by now but where can we find more of your stuff Bioculture culture, Earth, culture. culture. <laughs> there we Every go. two Single words right here yeah. cool yep. guys all right well we've got to get out of here omar can i get a, a rascal outro can i put you on the spot uh what do you want a rascal ad
1: played over top or you be <laughs> like a uh, what do you want <laughs>
2: i'll
1: see Just... all you guys my rascals in that next video peace perfect <laughs>